When my youngest uh, child, Nigel, was very young, and I asked him if I could tell the story, uh, lest I embarrass him, so he says, okay. But when he was very young, he, he did this interesting thing. He would be really tired, he needed to go to bed, and he would say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. We'd say, okay, come on, buddy, it's time to go to bed. No, I'm hungry. Okay, buddy, we gotta put you to bed. No. Right? Now, those of you who have kids, you can probably relate to this, and all of you are kids, and you've had various tricks of trying to avoid bed at all costs. But the interesting thing about this is that, uh, from his point of view, I was giving him the opposite of what he requested. I'm hungry. I need something to eat. And as a father, a loving and wise father, I'm saying, no, you don't. You actually need to go to sleep. So I know you're requesting food. I'm going to grant you rest. Now, from his point of view, as a toddler, this just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the, the, the opposite of what he's asking for could possibly be good. That, in a sense, is a bit of a, that's a picture of my prayer life uh, over, my, over my Christian life. I've had a lot of moments where I've asked the Father for something. Um, he doesn't give me what I'm asking for at all, and I can't conceive of how that could possibly be good. But yet, he's infinitely more wise and loving and generous and, and gracious than I am. And so, uh, me being God is not a good scenario, but I always wake up in the morning with this weird idea that I would be such a great addition to the Godhead. And so, uh, you can't reason with a toddler. When a toddler asks amiss, if I was to use that word, okay, you can't really reason with them, because your reasoning as a parent, as a wise and a loving parent, your reasoning is totally eclipsed by the toddler's commitment to their own will. So it doesn't matter how much you try and reason with a toddler, they just kick and scream and cry even more because they're convinced that what they're asking for is the best possible scenario and is, is, is truly what they need. In a cosmic sense, spiritually speaking, compared to God, we're all toddlers. And he's good and he's loving and he's wise. And he's weaving all of human history together in a great tapestry of redemption and of his great love and of his great grace. We can't understand how he's doing that. We can't consolidate how God could take tragedy and evil and injustice and suffering and poverty and sickness and death and take things that are just absolutely nothing like his nature and somehow weave those things in, a, in an eternal tapestry that's for the good of our salvation and his glory. We can't figure that out because we're finite and he's infinite. But this morning we're going to look at the petition in the Lord's Prayer that says, Give us this day our daily bread. We've been going line by line through the Lord's Prayer. This morning we're going to look at, Give us this day our daily bread. And in order to expound on that text, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6 and Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6 and Philippians 4. In both of these instances, Matthew 6, you've got Jesus talking, giving us a picture of fatherly provision. And then in Philippians chapter 4, you've got Paul revealing that he's uh, uncovered a beautiful and powerful spiritual secret of being content as a result of God's fatherly provision. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 25 to 34, and then I'm going to go to Philippians 4. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. For I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, to be content. Now, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Now, when you come to this petition, petition, which means ask, for those of you kids who are in the service today, I'm going to keep saying petition, but when I say petition, I mean asking God for things. When you come to this petition of Give us this day our daily bread. Notice that it's in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. It's surrounded by ideas. And we can't understand petition prayer unless we understand its order in prayer. The order matters. When, when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he didn't just go, ah, you know, what, here, you want to know how to pray? Here's how to pray. And, da, 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 and just fired out some thoughts. There's a very intentional order to the Lord's Prayer. And our asking is in the middle. And uh, it's important that we understand that because otherwise, we're not, we're, we're not going to have our hearts reoriented and our minds reoriented. It comes after adoration prayer and a prayer of worship and a, and a submissive prayer. Thy will be done. Thy, sorry, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. There's a lot of submission there. There's a lot of reorientation there. There's a lot of resting and, and seeing the contrast between creator God and creature me, the greatness of God and my limitation. And there's a real reorientation of the heart. And once our heart is reoriented, then we're invited to ask. But without the re spiritual reorientation and just the asking, I'm, clearly I'm going to worry in God's direction. I've done that many times in my life. Uh, but also what's going to happen is I'm going to be so centered on something else other than God, I'm essentially going to be asking God to give me my real God. Prayer is going to be nothing more than me saying, there's no way for me to content, be content, fulfilled, and satisfied unless I have this. Oh God, would you give me this? Unless my heart is recalibrated and reoriented towards God, I'm going to constantly be using prayer as a mechanism to get the things in life that I think are going to ultimately give rest to this restless soul. And so Jesus invites us to come boldly and ask for things. But it's not before there's this reorientation, before there's the asking. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. We're going to expound on this petition, we're going to use these two texts, and here's where the sermon is going today. Jesus teaches us to present our needs to God daily because we are dependent, humbly because God is wise, and confidently because we are loved. He tells us to come and ask for daily bread, daily because we're dependent, humbly because God is wise, and confidently 
because we're loved. So let's look at this first thing. Asking daily because we're dependent. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It's not monthly bread. It's not weekly bread. It's not sporadic. Oh my gosh, I don't think I can seem to have control like I thought I would, so now I'm going to ask for bread. Asking for bread daily is Jesus' way of giving us a picture of, do you see how dependent and needy you are? Uh, not in a you're, a, you're a worm kind of a way. But do you see how much each and every day for our hearts to operate in rest, for us to in, engage in our relationships, our marriages, with our children and our businesses and everything that you have going on Monday morning, your school, your, your, your pursuit of your careers, everything. He says, first recalibrate yourself in this place of dependency. You're dependent. It's daily bread. He wants us to know that we're children. He wants us to know that we're children coming to a loving father, creatures coming to a creator. Augustine said it this way. He said, daily bread is a metaphor for daily necessities, not daily luxuries. And it just brings us to this place of realizing, hey, what, what do we need? What, we, what do we need? And good news, I'll just, jump to the, I'll, I'll just jump to the spoiler alert here on daily bread. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. And he says, whoever comes to me will not hunger. And so, kids, look down at your notes for a second because there's some blanks here. I want you to catch this, kids. This is really important. What you need most, you have already been given. Because your ultimate need is already met. It's eternal life. And we have lots of daily needs, and this petition is very specific to our material daily needs that we have before God. But we are never going to be restful asking for the day-to-day -day material stuff if our hearts aren't resting in the eternal stuff. And so that's where, where there's that recalibration in the Lord's Prayer before we get to asking uh, for anything. So Christ didn't go to the cross to deal with all of our symptoms. He went to the cross to deal with our ultimate problem, which was death. And he solved that problem by giving us eternal life. And that's God's great grace on display. So to borrow from Calvin, I'll say it this way. Calvin wrote, When we ask God for daily bread, we don't bid farewell to God's glory. You're coming to a loving Heavenly Father. In other words, you're coming to the King. Your Father is the King. So we're supposed to come and ask because we're dependent, but we can also ask because He's wise, and we can also ask very confidently because we're loved. We're His kids. But just like Nigel being the little guy who's saying, I'm, t I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And as a father, I know, I'm like, you're not hungry. This isn't what you need here. I, I, you actually need this. Much of our prayer can be that way without that heart reorientation. We get to the asking of the daily bread before the, the resting and, the, and, and the, the submissiveness in God's prayer. So we're not coming to God arrogantly and we're not anxiously you know, telling him to give us things because the best thing has already happened. And so it brings us into this great place of... of uh, of rest. The Heidelberg Catechism says it this way, speaking about our daily needs. It says, it's, we're invited to pray, oh God, would you take care of our physical needs so that we come to know that you're the source of everything good. In the Westminster Catechism, question 104, it says this, we pray for a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy God's blessing with them. So think about what Jesus said. Look at the birds, look at the flowers. The birds and the flowers. Two things that compared to you, are really not that valuable. Jesus says it's not that they in and of themselves aren't valuable and beautiful as God's creation and should be stewarded and all these things that are important. But he's saying compared to you, you're of infinite more value. And so Jesus is painting this great picture of fatherly provision and care. Kids, if you look down at your notes again, the picture of great fatherly 
uh, provision and care is good news because it says you're in good hands. You're in good hands. You're in his hands. This is Jesus' whole point. You've got so many things each week to worry about and to be stressed about, you and I both. And we're invited to back ourselves out of all that and come to this place of rest in his fatherly provision, his fatherly love. The reason that we worry and we have anxiety is because there are things in all of our lives that we don't have control over, and we feel like if we could control it, we'd have peace. If I could just control my spouse, that would be fantastic. I'd have peace. If I could control these kids, oh, these kids. If I could control my boss, if I could control my staff, if I could control what's going on in my body, if I could control uh, the culture, if I could control the economy, if I could control the, 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 the political scenario that I'm in, I'm globally speaking, right? If we could just control these things, we would have peace. That's why... The, the church, uh, in North America in particular, we tend to have an idea uh, where we are always equating, you know, just get, get a Christian guy at the top and everything will be okay. This is a flawed idea. I mean, if you read biblical history, having the right guy at the top isn't always the solution. Now, God is so great. God can do whatever he wants in all of the nations and for saving grace without having the right guy at the top. But we tend to think about it that way. Why? Because we're so committed to control. We're equating my control with peace. But then Jesus comes and he says, there's a way for you to have peace without control. There's a way for you to come to God for daily bread. This is what I need. Oh God, here I am again. Here I am again, God. And to find that peace and to find that continual uh, joy in knowing you've got a Heavenly Father who by comparison uh, to the, his care for the birds and the flowers, certainly more than able to take care of you, is committed to taking care of you, will take care of you. That's why Jesus, when Jesus says, ask for daily bread, the prayer doesn't say, and again, I'll go back to the original language, not for the point of, of, of uh, pure academia, but you need to see this. In the Greek, it's read like this, give me my bread. Like, give me what I need. We're not comfortable translating it that way or reading it that way or praying that way because we're kind of like, well, that seems like you're commanding God. Well, we obviously, we don't command God. You know, uh, spoiler alert, you're made of dirt. You're returning there, okay? So we're not God. But we're invited to pray, give, oh God, give me what I need. Jesus doesn't say, you know, ask and maybe he'll give you what you need. This is good news. He will, no questions asked, give you what you need. The problem I have, and if, if I may, may be so bold as to project my problem on you, I think the problem we have as humans is that we equate our need, right? Our, uh, uh, we, we equate our request with our need. The thing I'm requesting is precisely what I need. And there's, there's a wisdom there that we actually get to rest in. That even though I'm a toddler that might say, I'm hungry, the father is going to interpret my request for, say, I'm hungry, say, actually, you need sleep. I am going to give you what you need. It may not have been what you've requested, but it is loving and it is good and it is wise. And it's going to serve you being drawn into this place of rest and dependency on the father. It's good. And he will do it, and he promises to do it. And so Jesus comes with this great gospel, and he says, don't worry. Think about it. You can't go to somebody who's worrying and say, don't worry. And there, do you feel better? You can't go to somebody who's having an anxiety attack and say, don't have an anxiety attack. Well, my work is done. You can't go to someone who's, who's panicking, breathing in a paper bag because they've got to deal with a situation, and they're really freaked out about it. And you can't go to that person while they're... <laughs> and go, don't worry. It'll be fine. I mean, that doesn't work. Yet we have Jesus saying, don't worry. So is, 
Is he off? Or did we miss something? I would submit to you, we, we missed something. And as we look at this, oh God, give me my daily bread. And Jesus is saying, look at the birds, look at the flowers, don't worry about it. Jesus is actually inviting us into smallness. It's not a very popular North American you know, idea. Jesus is inviting us into smallness so that we find great rest in God's greatness. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of rest and liberation in knowing I can cry out like a toddler, and even if I ask for the wrong thing, my loving Father is going to take care of me. There's a lot of rest there. But there's not a lot of rest. There's no rest in prayer that says, I've got to somehow figure out the will of God and ask for the right thing and then keep on you know, badgering heaven until I get precisely what I've asked for. But Jesus asks us, he says, hey, rest in the smallness. Kids, look down at your notes. There's great rest in our smallness, and there's great rest in God's greatness. That's what Jesus is actually inviting us into. How many of you kids who are in here have ever been scared in the middle of a thunderstorm, run and jumped in your parents' bed? Raise your hands if there's any kids in here that have ever done that. Big kids, raise your hand if you ever did. If you, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, the thunder starts, and then the kids run and jump in the parents' bed. Now, when that happens... What does the parent, what's usually the first thing that a parent says to a child who's afraid in a thunderstorm? Don't worry. Now, in the child's mind, they've got a lot of reason to worry. They're like, what? What do you mean, don't worry? Do you, do you see the thunder? Do you see the lightning? Do you see the rain? This house is done for. You bought me that Three Little Pigs book, and I read it. And I know what happens to houses when there's a lot of wind blowing around. Don't tell me not to worry. You're the one that read me that story. So from the kids' point of view, they've got all kinds of reason to worry. But from the parents' point of view, they're like, don't worry. Think about the disciples. There's a storm. Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. What do they say? Don't you care that we're dying? Ironic, isn't it? Jesus Christ, don't you care that we're dying? Fast forward to the cross where Jesus literally is dying. Where are they? They're running away. Scared for their lives. But in the moment of the storm, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? How many times have you and I prayed that way? All the time we do. God, don't you see this? Don't you understand? Don't you, my pain? What are you doing? God is like, is heaven shut? Did, are your counseling hours over? Did I miss something? Is it on Thursdays between 1 and 2 that you're answering prayer? And I got you on an off day? I'm totally confused. Because I've read this one scripture, this verse, one place that said, Anything you ask in my name, you shall have it. You see this mountain, say, be cast into the sea. I've got this conflict. Well, no, there's no conflict if you're, if you're seeing prayer as a child coming to a father, not, a, not a, a man coming to a genie in a lamp. But if you've always interpreted prayer like it's a genie in a lamp that you're going to, then you, you surely are going to have lots of contradictions and, 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 and problems with prayer. But when you see it's a child coming to a father, great rest, tremendous rest. And so from the, from the kid's point of view, we always have some, a reason to worry. But from God's point of view, he's like, don't worry. You, Jesus is a, wakes up. Imagine Jesus in the boat. He's pulling the sleep from his eyes. And he looks around, and there's this raging storm. And he's not worried about it. Because he's death-proof. And they're with him. And so from his point of view, he's like, I don't know why you guys are worried about this. Because you're with me. And I'm death-proof. And I have good news for you, church. Through grace alone and faith alone, 
in Christ alone, you're united to a Savior who's death-proof. From his point of view, he looks at us and he says, don't worry. Because uh, John chapter 10, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. See, when you have that kind of power, you're able to look down on your children in the middle of the storm when they come and they run and they jump in your bed because they're convinced that life is over and you're able to say to them, don't, don't worry. You're with me. And I'm death proof. And even worst case scenario in your mind, if you die, you live. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, give us what we need. This is the invitation. So we ask daily because we're dependent. We ask humbly because God is wise. We don't want to divorce God's sovereignty from his love. When we talk about the bigness of God and how sovereign God is, we don't want to turn that into cold Greek fatalism. That's not sovereignty of the Bible. Sovereign, God's sovereignty in the Bible is loving, fatherly engagement. Uh, Dr. John Frame is the apologetics prof at uh, Knox at seminary, and he said it to us this way one time. It was so brilliant. Such a great teacher. He said, you know, God is both transcendent and eminent. You don't find another religion in the world where God is transcendent and eminent. You find lots of religions where God is transcendent. He's over above all of creation. He's set up the rules. You obey the rules, it goes good for you. You don't obey the rules, it goes bad for you. He's transcendent. He just, you know, set up universe, set it in motion, and now it's hands off, and he's saying, good luck to all of you people. I hope you do enough to please me in the end. Lots of religions operate that way, where God is hands off, and, and, and uh, you know, and lots of, it, lots of religions operate that way. There's lots of religions where God is He's imminent. He's, he's with you, or he's in you, or he's in everything. Pantheism, polytheism, you know, God is the rock, God is me, God is the tree, God is, the, God is everywhere, God is connected to the... There's lots of imminent religion. But then in Christianity, you've got the gospel, where God is transcendent over creation as a creator, and he is imminent with us by the powerful spirit, and he loves us and he cares about us, but we don't meet him halfway. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this much with the cross, and you do this much with your works, and we'll meet in the middle, and we'll, we'll call it even. And we'll, no. The, Christ, the, the gospel, the Christian faith, the reason why we rest, the reason why we, have, we can come to God confidently and say, give me my daily bread, is because he came all the way. All the way. In Christ. All the way. This is the loving Father. This is the picture of his, of his sovereignty, of his wisdom. And so that's why the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer set us up for asking. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's get into adoration and worship and see your bigness and my smallest. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will is good and perfect and wise. And I'm a kind of a toddler and I think I know what I need, but maybe I don't. But oh God. And once that heart gets reoriented, then like little children, we just boldly, oh God, give me what I need today and tomorrow and the day after that. We, we come to him and we ask humbly because he's wise. So from our perspective on life has to be healed so, that our t so our petition is after adoration. So kids, look down at your notes for a sec. This is what is, it goes in the blanks there. See, our deepest needs, the daily bread is all about needs, and our deepest needs are on the inside. They're not on the outside. Our deepest needs. And, and God has met those. And so 
We can come to God on Sundays, and you can bring your worry, bring your anger, bring your resentment, bring your frustration, bring your questions, and you can come in here and you can drop those at the foot of the cross and leave them there through that worship and through that rest and through that, oh God, give me what I need. This is what I, this is what I think I need. Oh God, would you do it? And no, he's not deaf. He hears you and he answers. And even if his answer is, doesn't resemble a request like a toddler, you know that it's good and it's perfect and it's wise and it's loving. And so this is what we need. And that's why Jesus draws us to these birds and these flowers, because that's where the great, that's where the great rest is, these small creatures dependent on a great creator. Because I don't know about you, but at night, my heart seems to go back to its default settings. And then I wake up in the morning, and I wake up in the morning forgiven by grace and totally loved by God, and God's pleased with me because of Christ, all by grace, and I wake up in that condition. But my heart has defaulted back into, okay, i got to now, i got to kind of control everything. And my heart has defaulted back into me first. And somehow, in one way or another, when I wake up in the morning, I need that new mercy that the Bible talks about. His mercy is new every morning. So I've never woke up one morning and been like, actually, you know what, I'm pretty good. I don't, thanks for the mercy. Can we carry that over, you know, to tomorrow and tomorrow I get double mercy? Because today I don't need any. That's never happened. You're never going to walk in here when I get to the point in the liturgy where I'm about to pray the prayer of confession, and you're going to say, hey, actually, now would be a great time for me to go use the washroom or check Facebook, because I don't need to confess this week. Yes, you do. You know, I've kept God's law. No, you didn't. Not, not perfectly. Not standing next to Jesus' level of keeping God's law, you didn't. So we confess our sin. Why? Not because we're, not because we're slaves to sin and we're worms, because we're sons of God who were invited in to this great grace and this great rest. And so, our heart, because our, our hearts go back, we need that new mercy every morning, which is why we need to ask God for daily bread, which is why we, need, we, we ask Him because we're dependent, and we trust Him, and we ask Him because, we ask Him humbly, because He's wise. Which leads to the final thing this morning, which is that we can ask confidently. Confidently because we are loved. I'm not asking confidently because my toddler-like request is bang on. But I am asking confidently because I know I'm loved. And when you think about it, it, the gospel sets us up for rest in prayer. Because the gospel says, Jesus Christ has done everything in his perfect life that you and I could never do to please the Father. And then he died a substitutionary death in our place. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose on the third day. For us to do what we could never do. And now because of, because of that great gospel, we're invited into this rest to say, I know the best thing for me and the highest thing for me has already been done. It, it, it's already been done in Christ at the cross. He solved my biggest problem. My biggest problem is actually my, my pending death. That's my biggest problem. And he solved that. So now from this place of of that knowledge, I now come confidently and ask for the daily bread that I need in this life. The very practical things that you need in your life, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, and at work. You know, the, the daily needs, the, the, the daily material needs. You just come confidently to God. Knowing that He loves you. He will, he will grant it. He will do it. And even through tears. It, it's that grace in Christ that enables us to face the brokenness of this world with great confidence. 
with great rest and great hope, even through tears, even through tragedy. It's the, that power of the Spirit. That's why what Paul gives us when he says, I found the secret. The secret of whether I'm a base or I'm a bound, I'm content. I mean, that's a powerful passage in, in, in chapter 4. That's why he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, I know athletes say, you know, wear shirts that say, I can do all things <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean scoring touchdowns and getting slap shots you know, over 100 miles an hour. That's not what it means. You know, you don't, don't tell your children when they tell you they're having difficulty with their math homework, hey, what do you mean you're having difficulty with your math homework? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's not what it means. Stop burdening your children. No, it means regardless of the scenario I find myself in, oh my goodness, there's such great rest. Paul goes, I know what it is to have way more than enough, abounding. He goes, I know what it is to have nothing. And he's writing it from prison, P.S. Okay, so the guy who's writing from prison is like, I got the secret. It's resting in Christ. Have a million, indebted a million, whatever. Healthy, sick. He's got, Paul's figured this out. So the question isn't how do I become more like Paul? The question is how do I rest in what Paul is resting in? And that's this recalibration of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus has graciously given us. There's a recalibration in our hearts that's powerful that enables us to do it. So we don't come to, to God like he's a genie of a lamp. We come to him like he's a loving and gracious father. You know, I was curious this morning uh, about this, this sermon on coming to God and asking, oh God, give me what I need, even if it's not what I know, what I think. And I just went on Amazon.ca to look for books that had how to get your miracle in the title. You know, there's over 500. So, like, there's, a lot of people are really interested on how to get God to just, how do I, this is what I've decided I need, how do I get my miracle? Amazon.ca, over 500 titles for you. You can go, don't waste your time, don't. Just don't do it. God's not deaf. God is a God of miracles. He's, always, he's done miracles sovereignly. He could do miracles today sovereignly. But we rest. We rest. You're not going to find a time in all of church history or all of biblical history where people were flowing and going in miracles. You don't, you don't find it. You don't, you don't find it. I mean, the, the, the time you see the most miracles is when God is taking his children out of Egypt and trying to get them to a promised land where he's doing miracle after miracle after miracle because unless he moves sovereignly in miracle, he's, this is never going to happen. The Savior is never going to get to planet, and you and I are never going to rest in grace. But we're on this side of the cross, and it's done, and now we get to rest. <clears throat> and so we don't want to think that our requests, give me my daily bread, my request and my need is the same thing. Think about, um, for those of you who've been parents, the first month with your first child, and they're crying. Whoa, boy. Okay, what should I do? I know. We'll bathe them, feed them, bath them, put them in bed. We'll just give them everything. Because you're not sure. But then three months later, you moms are like, no, that cry means this, and that cry means that, and I'm pretty sure that cry means that. And then by your third child, you know, the, the child thinks about crying. And the mother's like, this is what they need. And, the, and, then the, and so the, by the time the child gets old enough to speak, like my little guy, I'm hungry. Susan's like, no, you're not. You're going to bed. No, this is the opposite of my request. <laughs> no, no, no. Trust me. This is what you need. No, I don't want to. <laughs> exactly. That's a picture of you coming to God and, oh, God, give me my daily needs. And him giving you rest. He's that good. He's that smart. He's that brilliant. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to close with this. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, this is what it says. It says that when Jesus was on earth, he went to his father with loud crying and tears. 
And it says that he went to his father with loud crying and tears to be delivered from death. And he was heard for his reverent submission. That's what Hebrews 5 verse 7 says. Heard? Jesus went to the father in, in tears and crying. Oh God! If there's any other way, may it be your will. And then Jesus is on a bloody Roman cross. But the Hebrew writer says, exactly. I mean, God totally answered his prayer. But if you've got a genie of the lamp thing going on, you're like, well, how did he possibly answer his prayer? Jesus prayed, oh God, if there be a, not my will but thine be done. And God goes, I hear you, son. You got it. I'll answer that prayer. I'll deliver you from death. So three days later, the resurrection is the amen of the Father to the it is finished of the Son. So from God's point of view, he answered Christ's prayer. This is the great rest that we're invited to as we're asked to come boldly. Uh, kids, look down at your notes as, as I close with this uh, final um, thoughts, and there's some blanks there for you. God always answers you because he loves you. His love towards you is perfect. His grace toward you is perfect. His answer to your prayer is perfect. To borrow from, from Tim Keller, God always gives you in prayer what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knew. That's how good and how loving he is. So look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers of the field. Your Father takes care of them. Church, you are forgiven and free. Christ has done it all. You can ask God daily because you're dependent. You can ask God humbly because he's wise. And you can ask God confidently because you are loved. Let's pray.